Thank you very much. All right. Turn over with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Book of Daniel, chapter 7. We, uh, we got all the way to the very last, I think it was about the last two or three verses, and we just ran out of time last Sunday. So uh, I'm a stickler for being comprehensive, so I want to at least read the last three verses before we move on into chapter 8. Um, just as a quick refresher, chapter 7, if you remember, is a retelling through a different set of visions, a different set of pictures the same kind of ideas that were given over in Daniel chapter 2 with the image of the man and the different metals that represented the future world empires that were going to exist upon the earth. And so far we've seen four different of the creatures. The fourth one is the one that has really caught Daniel's attention. It's a terrifying beast. It has ten horns. And if you remember, it has that one little horn that grows up and it becomes terrifying. The saints are delivered into this little horn's hand, this ruler's hand, and it says that these things happen prior to, right before the return of Jesus Christ. And so we've been interested in that because uh, not only is Daniel receiving insight as to the future coming uh, kingdom of God that is going to be upon this earth, um, but it also gives us insight because we are looking at things that I believe are still yet to come and very possibly yet to come very soon. And uh, so I think that it's time for us to have a, a good understanding of these things. He laser focuses in on this little horn, and it says that he will rise to power. He will do horrible things. But, but here's where we got to in verse 26. This is the part that I love the most, because in the end, he doesn't win. In the end, even though he kills Christians and Jews, and, and, and he's empowered by Satan himself, and he's trying to do everything he can to, to beat God at this game, whatever this game he thinks he's playing. The truth is, is that Jesus Christ has promised us that he is going to return. And you might remember in the sermon series on Sunday morning, the one that we do here called Catching Fire, we, we talked about that last week. Remember, the main thing we talked about last Sunday is that Jesus said, Behold, I'm going to go and I'm going to make a place for you. I'm not leaving you. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm still going to come, but I'm going to come through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to live inside of you. So I'm going to go make a home here, but I'm also going to make a home here. Remember that? That was last Sunday's sermon. But what did he tell his disciples? I will come back and get you so that you can be where I am. Well, he's speaking prophetically of the future time of the resurrection, the future time of the judgment, right? Okay, so let's, let's look at verse 26. So the court will sit. This is the day of judgment, the day of judgment that's talked about in Scripture all through the Bible. The court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. That's the little horn and also talking about Satan. And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. Who's that? Listen, you know what I've been teaching my kids ever since they were little? You know, when I was growing up, I didn't really have a very firm idea of what heaven was. No, Revelation was never talked about. The last days were never talked about in the congregations I grew up in. I, I got my eschatology from Looney Tunes. I did. I thought that was funny. I, I was really hoping that was going to get them, David. Um, no, I did. I got, I got a lot of my theology. Yeah, I got a lot of my theology from Looney Tunes. I had a picture of heaven. As, you remember Porky Pig up on the cloud playing the harp? I figured it was something like that, but just no harps because we're Church of Christ, right? I got them with that one. All right. 
but, but that was it. I thought heaven was just this wispy, ghosty existence, white light, whatever it was or whatever. But when you get into the Bible, you see that that is not the case. You see Jesus Christ coming and taking back the earth from the one that took it from us. Remember, we handed that power over to Satan, right? He usurped God's authority. We were the ones that were called to be ambassadors on this earth. We were the ones that were to be co-creators and co-rulers with God upon this earth, going back to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. Well, we gave that up. But when you turn to the book of Revelation, you remember that thing called the seven seals? Do you know what that is? What are the seven seals? When you have a double-sided scroll in the Old Testament, go look it up in the book of Jeremiah, a double-sided scroll that's sealed on the outside is a land deed. It's a land deed. So when you see the book of Revelation being opened, he's opening a land deed, but it's not just a piece of land. It's the land deed to the entire earth. Okay? And so what's happening there is that he says, he's wailing. John is crying. He says, nobody's worthy. Nobody can open it. Nobody in heaven, nobody on earth, nobody under the earth. They searched high and low. They couldn't find anybody who could take back what was rightfully ours. But Jesus came down as a man. He overcame sin. He overcame death. He wrestled the keys of death out of the hands of Satan. He overcame that. He took the power back. He, did, he, he made a mockery of the powers of Satan. And so in the book of Revelation, as every single time he's opening a seal, he's taking back dominion on the earth. But he's handing it back over to us. Do you realize that you're going to be kings and queens one day? Do you realize this? People think I'm funny when I say that. I'm not being funny. You are called to be a nation of priests, a nation of kings. And the biggest problem we have in Christianity today is we don't see ourselves the way he sees us. We see ourselves the way we see us. We see ourselves the way you see us. We see each other. Yes, David? Uh, The holy people of the Most High is Israel and us by adoption. By being grafted in. Exactly right. I forgot the mic, man. The holy people of the Most High is Israel and us by adoption. Yeah, spiritual Israel grafted in according to Romans 11. Now, why do I bring that up? Because uh, think about how this applies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is all messed up. They got all kinds of carnal issues going on. They're dealing with spiritual gifts. They don't, how to, they don't know how to operate correctly in spiritual gifts. There's a guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who's having a sexual relationship with his mother. Sorry, it's kind of gross. It's just the way it is. It's in the Bible. It's either his mother or his stepmother, one or the other. But either way, it's bad. Okay? They misunderstood grace, and they thought, well, that means we we must be spiritual because we can tolerate even this. And see, that's the problem. Sometimes you get into the wrong mindset spiritually, and you think that being spiritual is about how much sin you can tolerate. Boy, we don't deal with that today in the church, do we? Okay? But what does he tell that person? He says... He says, uh, I want you to hand him over to Satan for a season so Satan can deal with his flesh and he'll come back. And then in the very next part of that chapter, he starts talking about Christians who are taking each other to court. And he says, why in the world are you going to unbelievers to decide things that you should be able to decide yourselves because you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you? And then he says this curious little phrase. Don't you know that one day you're going to judge the angels? You're going to sit as queens and kings before the Lord, and you're going to help administer what he's going to be doing on this earth. So it might be time for us to see ourselves the way he sees us and start handling things the way that we should be handling them, right? So here it says, 
The court will sit, its power will be taken away, completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Verse 28. Now, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. I would imagine so. That was a pretty intense encounter with the Lord that he had. And being where Daniel was in his place in history, none of that would have made any sense whatsoever. But he knew that it was going to be bad. He knew that at some point in the future, God's people were going to be railroaded. And that really bothered him. Okay, now, any questions or comments? And then we're going to hop into chapter 8. Anybody? Yeah, go ahead. This kind of was a thought that kind of has been brewing for a while. You know, we keep referring back to Hitler yes. a lot. That was a terrible time. It, yeah. but, but it's our reference it is. to something that's... But if it had never happened, we wouldn't have that reference. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, that it was a good thing that happened, but God didn't waste it. Yes. And I see that even through with Daniel, there's reference. Remember the time. Remember the time. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, I just... I, I try to keep that in mind when I'm seeing the, all of the politics and social and uh, upheavals ar- around me. That, yeah. 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 I don't know where this is headed, but I know where I'm headed. Yeah. Prophecy, prophecy is a picture. And sometimes, like we said, in the Bible, it says in Ecclesiastes, the thing that has been is that which shall be. And that which has been done is that which shall be done. And there's no new thing under the heavens. The little horn that, that, that we first see with Antiochus Epiphanes under the Grecian Empire becomes a model for the little horn that's going to appear in the latter part of the Ten Kings, right? But you can also look through history and see men like this rise to power and do things like this in very similar ways. Because why? It's the spirit. It's, and, I, and I don't mean the Holy Spirit. I mean the evil spirit, right? Satan's authority and rule and power that does this. Adolf Hitler is a great picture of what a little horn looks like. Because he, he rises up to power. He becomes boastful, thinks he's God. You know, thinks he can do whatever he wants. Kills the Jews. And that's always a common denominator, by the way. Get rid of the Jews. And that's a, there's a whole prophetic reason behind that. I won't get into that this morning. So thank you for that, Roxanne. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Don't be shy. Okay, Daniel chapter eight. Now, last week we were we were uh, we were we were in Daniel seven last week, and if you remember, in Daniel seven, that was the first year of Belshazzar. And let me see if I've got my thing up here now. Okay, Daniel chapter eight, verse one. Okay, so in Daniel chapter seven, verse one, you remember that that was the first year of Belshazzar. All right. So this again, it's been about sixty-seven years since the time we first heard Daniel. And again, we don't think about it because it's just back-to-back in the text. But 67 years have gone by. We haven't heard from Daniel, hadn't heard a word from Daniel. He interpreted this dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and that was it. So Daniel doesn't record anything else for 67 years. So by the time we come to Daniel chapter 7, which is where we see him again, all that time has passed. And so Daniel is most likely at this point in his 80s, somewhere around there, okay? When all this happens. Now, if you remember Daniel chapter 7, he begins with this. It's the first year of Belshazzar. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind. 
as he was lying in bed. And he wrote down the substance of this dream. And Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven turning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Now, of course, this is when Daniel saw... Oh, let me skip past here. This is when Daniel saw the vision of the four beasts. Hope you can see this up here. I tried to blow it up as good as I could. But I want you to check this uh, graphic out up here behind me. So he sees these four beasts. He sees one like a lion uh, with eagle's wings. He says one like a bear, one like a leopard. And then you have that great dreadful beast with ten horns. We will talk about all this. And if you remember, we said that, that this dream is parallel to the one in Daniel chapter 2. So what I've got is I've got them lined up up here in the screen. You can see how each image is talking about each kingdom. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. So that dream came in the first year of Belshazzar. And now we're going to see Daniel get another vision. And this time it's going to occur in the third year of Belshazzar. But instead of focusing again on all of the future world empires, he's going to laser focus in on two of those. Okay, he's going to talk two more. And God's going to give us two new pictures, two new images that describe these future events that are going to happen from Daniel's perspective. So we said in this dream, um, that dream comes in the first year of Belshazzar. And now we're going to see Daniel get another vision. And this one is going to occur in the third year of Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Now, it's going to focus on two empires, Persia and Greece. So let's go ahead and let's get into chapter 8. We'll read it together. Chapter 8, verse... I'll start start with verse 1 and then we'll read verse 2 again. Go back to verse 1 with me. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. Um, Now this again is the third year of Belshazzar. This is also going to be the last year of Belshazzar, okay? Uh, This is the very, very end of the Babylonian Empire. He's the last guy. There's not going to be anybody else after this. Remember, we're reading Daniel chronologically. We're not reading it the way it is in in the scriptures, the way it's recorded. The way it's recorded in the scriptures is just a collection of visions. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to go through it chronologically based upon the reigns of these kings. Okay? So Daniel 8 takes place in the third year of Belshazzar. Later on, we're going to read Daniel chapter 5. And again, it might sound confusing. We're hopping around. We're going to go from chapter 8 to chapter 5. But why are we doing that? Because in chapter 5, it also takes place in the third year of Belshazzar. (laughs) I don't know why they compiled it that way, but it's the way it is. Because in chapter 5, you get Daniel's handwriting on the wall vision. Remember that? What is the handwriting on the wall? It's God announcing to the Babylonians, your empire is done. Okay, and we're going to get to that here in just a little bit, a little bit later. So remember, in that first dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, he has this vision of this image. And if you remember, the gold represented Babylon. The two arms represented the Medes and the Persians. And then Greece was represented by the bronze torso. And now we know in Daniel chapter 7 that Babylon was also represented by a lion. The Medes and the Persians was represented by a bear. Greece was represented by a leopard. If you remember, that leopard ended up having four wings, right? Um, which referred to the four generals of Alexander the Great. They divided up his kingdom four ways after he died. Well, guess what? Now the Babylonian kingdom is about to end. This is the third year of Belshazzar. And what's God going to do here? Now that Babylon is about to end, he's going to give Daniel another vision and say, okay, now let's talk about the next ones that are coming. All right? So he's going to laser focus in on these from a little bit different angle. And so Greece 
is also going to be in this vision because Greece is what? He's, that's the next world empire, right? That's the next one that's up and coming. But this time, Greece is going to be represented differently. It's going to be represented by a goat. It's going to be represented by a goat. And this goat, I don't have it up on the screen, but this goat is going to have one long prominent horn in front. And we're going to see in the vision that that is going to be representative of who? Alexander the Great, the prominent big horn, okay? Now, realize all these dreams are telling us the same story, but they're telling different parts of the story in different angles. And so what Daniel, what's amazing about Daniel is he already knows before the handwriting on the wall that the Babylonian Empire is about to come to, to an end because he's already getting visions from the Lord about the next one that's about to start. So do you think that might have helped him a little bit when he interpreted the handwriting on the wall? I think it probably did. God was already giving him insight as to what was about to take place, is my point. Okay, let's get into uh, let's get verse 2. Oh, and by the way, Daniel, where's Daniel at this point? He is all the way over in a place called Susa, or Shushan. I think some of your older translations have Shushan, don't they? Shushan, King James Bible. Okay, let's read verse 2. In the vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa, or Shushan, if you have older translation, in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. Now, this is the third year. I'm going to tell you when that was. This is about um, uh, 500 and something B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. I can't remember exactly the time or whatever. But he's in Susa. Now, there's a lot of opinions here. Is he actually in Susa? You think no. Okay, why is that? Okay, so that's, the, that's, that's where the debate is. Like people say, well, is he actually in Susa or is the vision showing him that he's somewhere else and he's reporting it that way? And people argue back and forth. I'm not dogmatic on either one, but... But here's the, the interesting thing is that where he's at is going to be the capital of the next world empire. Susa is the capital of Persia. Nobody heard that bell because I know we're just getting started. What in the world happened? Did we take too long with prayer requests? Huh? We started late? Oh, my goodness gracious. All right, what were you going to say, David? Susa is where Esther Yes, that was the thing that I was about to say next. So Susa is important to you because later on you're going to have a woman by the name of Esther. Queen Esther is from this very place. Remember, that story of Esther, Nehemiah, and all those guys, that takes place during the time of the Persian Empire, right? Well, we know that Daniel is second to the king of the Babylonian Empire. He's already up in his 80s. The Persian Xerxes comes along, and guess what? Daniel gets elevated up again. I wonder, so that's why I wonder, maybe at this point he's in Susa. God's already relocated him to the place where he's going to eventually become prime minister. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's good. That's a good way to put it. So if that's the case, God is also giving him insight as to where he's eventually going to live because he's going to live in the capital of Persia. Okay. Um, so... What's going on with Daniel by this point? Well, Daniel's kind of been sidelined. Um, the current king doesn't really care that much about him because in his view, Belshazzar, he's arrogant, he's boastful. 
Um, he doesn't care about some old official from his great, great, great grandfather years ago or whatever. So he's been sidelined a little bit. And so, um, and by the way, if you look at this map, I want to show you this. I'm going to try to show you this before we get out of here. This is, uh, this is Google. <laughs> okay. I thought this might be a great way to show you. I was kind of curious. But if you look over here, Susa, or it's called Shush, Shush I think it's uh, located in Iran. And, of course, they didn't have cars back there. So you know how on Google Maps you can choose walking or cars or bus? Well, I figured they didn't have cars and buses back then. So I, I chose walking because I was curious to know how long would it take to walk from Susa all the way to Babylon. It turns out it takes... It takes a new prescription, apparently. Uh, 90 hours. 90 hours. Y'all stop making fun of me. That's not, that's not good humor. No, it takes about 90 hours. All right. Now, by the way, as I was looking at this and I was kind of zooming around and I was playing with it, check this out. Can y'all see that? I zoomed in on Susa and what do you see there? Probably nothing. See, haha, joke's on you. No, it says tomb of the prophet Daniel tomb of the prophet Daniel. So there in Susa, in the very place that we're reading about right now, at least in tradition, the Persians a long time ago have a tomb that was dedicated to the prophet Daniel. Now, whether he's actually buried there or not, I have no idea. But it's interesting because the tradition exists, right? Why does the tradition exist? It exists because of Daniel chapter 8, because this is where Daniel's eventually going to live. Now, Daniel, as you know, he was um, friends with Nebuchadnezzar, a lot of time has passed. Um, there's been a lot of kings. Remember, after Nebuchadnezzar, there was evil Merodach. Uh, there was uh, Nereglissar. There was Nabonidus. Nabonidus was the guy that didn't really want to be king. He was a playboy down in Saudi Arabia, put Belshazzar in, into power. So a lot of time has gone by. And um, let's see if I can focus on this here. Let me tell you a little bit about Susa. Susa is one of the Persian royal cities. It was located about 230 miles east of Babylon, 150 miles north of the Persian Gulf. Susa was the capital of the Elamites in antiquity, later became the main residence of the Persian kings. It had a very famous palace that was built by a man by the name of Darius I. It was later enlarged by Xerxes, which is when you have the story of Esther and Nehemiah in the Bible. There was also a very famous law code here that David Miller could tell you all about that was found in this city called the Code of Hammurabi. Anybody ever heard of that? Four of you had. No kidding. Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi was discovered in 1901. It was also found in that place. Verse 2. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. And in the vision, I was beside the Uli Canal. Now, we know previously that Persia was represented by the two arms of the statue. Remember that? That's what Persia was represented by the uh, Medes and the Persians. Okay, two arms of civil, Medes and Persians. Here in this dream, Persia is going to be represented by a ram that has two horns. Why does the ram have two horns? Two kingdoms. Remember, Persia is made up of the Medes and the Persians. So the ram has two horns. I just want you to see the pictures. I want you to see how God uses pictures in the Bible. The goat, what it's called the shaggy goat or the he goat, has one big, long, prominent horn. That's the Grecian Empire. 
And what you're going to see in this, in this vision, and we're going to talk about it next week, and, and hopefully we'll get a little further into it, is these two animals are going to go to battle with one another. Okay? And again, it's going to show you some things about the future that we haven't seen yet. All right. Any thoughts? I do apologize. I feel like this was a very disjointed Bible class, and I didn't do a good job. I apologize. We didn't get very far. All right. Well, I love you guys very much. Can't wait to worship with you here in just a moment. Okay? God bless you. Well, thank you.